Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We're on the road in Arizona today and it's, I'd like to tell you it's just paradise down here, but it's Bit about a hundred degrees. <laughs> it's a little warm. It is paradise, though. I mean, we're not complaining after our winter up in Park City, Utah. Well, we still have about a three-foot mound of snow on our porch, but other than that, the so, snow's finally gone. Some of you remember we we have three of our nine children now living in Arizona. Not for long, though. Jonah and his wife are moving back to their home in Hawaii with their children. And, but Josh, who's a third grade teacher, is having a big party. He has one at the end of every school year. And it's just a delight to be here. We just love to come down and see the kids and their parents after a year with Josh and how much they've learned. And he has stayed, um, he has prepared a one hour video of all the things they've done for the year. whole year, complete with music and kids singing along with the songs. And, and of course the parents are great and provide the food and everything. But we wow. love having the parents here. We, we just sit in one place and all the parents come over and tell us how much they love our son, Josh. It's, <laughs> it's really, really quite nice. a fun thing. And we have a book that we did years ago called teaching children responsibility that has Josh as a boy roughly the age of his students now, a little younger, actually. He's on the cover, and so we we always bring enough to give each family a book, and we write inside of it. Mr. Iyer was once a child like you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hard to believe, you know, when your teacher looks so old. Yeah. But it is really fun because we're going to have 11 ducklings this year. Oh, yeah. They, they hatch. hatch ducks in the classroom. This, and This uh, is not an ordinary third grade teacher. They do astronomy. They hatch ducks. They grow a little garden. I mean, this is... It's the school I'd want. It's the class I'd want to be in if I was in the Kidding third grade. Rockets, the whole thing. But it is just really so fun to meet the parents. The kids are delightful. And uh, we're going to have a good time tonight. And we're going to have a good time today because we are, this is something I've really looked forward to. We've spent, we've had a, a mini series of three on the alternatives the three deceivers, we call them, of ownership and independence and control, those things that we seek but we can't get. And it's from our book called The Happiness Paradox. The paradox being that the very things we think will bring us happiness actually suck our happiness away. And many of you have been listening for the last, the first three of this mini series. But today we're going to take it to a little higher realm and suggest that there's a spiritual aspect to each of these three alternatives. And again, just to, to remind and review, the alternative to control is serendipity. The alternative to the false notion of ownership is stewardship. And the alternative to the really damaging notion of independence is something we call synergicity. So we're going to take serendipity, stewardship, and synergicity to a higher level today and talk about what spiritual concepts they really are in our lives. And I'm I'm looking forward to this, Linda. I hope you are. 
I am. It's always fun to get a refresher course for us too, because it's something that you can say, yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's great. But then you kind of forget about it. And then uh, you have to have a refresher course. This is part of your fiber. Um, it is just such a natural thing for you. But I love these three words and we're going to get a little deeper into them today. But let's, by way of review, we tried to write a really tight one sentence on the problem with ownership, independence, and control. And we're, we're just going to read you those as a kind of a lead-in to the more spiritual alternatives, okay? So starting with ownership. The distorted lens of ownership causes us to perceive the world as a competition, to constantly compare and judge and to develop the habits of selfishness. So there you go. It's easy to see with that definition why ownership, a false concept anyway, can suck away our happiness. And here's the next one. The mistaken notion of independence puts us alone against the world and develops an attitude, a brittle facade of pride which hides the vulnerability that could help us to better love and to better be loved. Sometimes, you know, it, it, you do really think, I can do this, I can do this, I can, I can handle this, I don't need help. But we do need help. In fact, I need help with, from you to finish that. So we Cleaning out the two, okay. Right. Out. So go on to, going on now to control. Control. The presumptuous perspective of control makes us swim against the flow of opportunities and become less sensitive to others, even as it deprives us both of faith and spontaneity. So as you can see, we're really down on those three false notions of ownership, independence, and control. And here's the way we end that little opening salvo. Why then are these the three things that all of us seem to be seeking. Why indeed? So again, as we've done in the past three episodes of this little series, is we've talked about serendipity, stewardship, and synergicity as the alternatives, but we haven't really gotten deep into the spirituality of those. And so let us give you a little justification, even though we know the audience for Ayers on the Road is broad and includes many people who may not be of our persuasion or our faith, we're sort of emboldened by what we're going to read you right now. Uh, you know by now that we're not shying away from spiritual constructs and terminology. This is justified partly by polls that real, reveal that 90% of Americans express belief in a higher power, and more than 75% call themselves spiritual, despite the fact that less than half call themselves religious. Those that's, are interesting statistics. That's from a recent Pew Research poll, and it is interesting, honey, how the vast majority of Americans, it is higher than any other country, by the way, which is interesting, classify themselves as spiritual people. They, they believe they are spiritual beings. They have spiritual feelings, but less than half 
quite a bit less than half would call themselves religious. And we could get we well, could go on on that for a while. It's, get, it's going down. It's going down because um, I think the recent polls within the last yeah. couple of years. I mean, that was five years ago. Yeah. It's really scary how much um, people are not no longer saying that they're spiritual beings. But for the sake of this broadcast today, the important thing is that the vast majority of us say we're spiritual, and we think that justifies us now being kind of a tone of spiritual application of these three alternatives, and even a poetic approach, because we often feel in our writing that when we're when we're writing about trying to explain something or give an understanding of something, prose and regular paragraphs are the way to go. But when we're trying to talk about something spiritual, sometimes verse or poetry is a little better. And I just couldn't, we just couldn't resist reading you what one of our great heroes, G.K. Chesterton, said about that idea that poetry kind of carries a different tone. I know you love poetry, and I just listened to a podcast that said poetry, um, the poetry that rhymes is actually verse. Poetry oh, okay. that okay. pulls out feelings is really poetry, and this really brings out feelings. Poetry is sane because it floats easily in an infinite sea. Reason seeks to cross the infinite sea and so make it finite. The result is mental exhaustion. To understand everything is a strain, the poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the logical who seeks to get the heavens into his head. And it is his head that splits. <laughs> that is G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton for you from a book called Orthodoxy. Don't you love that? So poetry flows easily on the infinite sea where reason's trying to cross that sea and to make it finite and to explain it. And the result really is exhaustion. So, and, well, in this uh, podcast, it was so interesting. They said poetry makes you think about something that is ordinary differently. Yeah. And I think that is a really good definition. It makes you think differently about the what, what is being said. And so let's let's tackle these three words that are our favorite words, serendipity, stewardship, and synergicity, but from a spiritual standpoint and see if that makes as much sense to you as it does to us. So the, the standard sort of secular definition, the correct definition of serendipity is a state of mind whereby through awareness and good fortune, we frequently find something better than that which we were seeking. So it relies largely on our senses and on our awareness. But when we move that up to a spiritual form of serendipity, it gets very interesting and the definition changes a little. Okay, so this is a definition of spiritual serendipity. That quality or gift which through sagacity of both senses and spirit and through the grace of God allows one to pray for and receive guidance, inspiration, confirmation, and knowledge, even hidden knowledge, relative to one's purpose, family, helping of others, and day-to-day -day activities. All right. That does make a difference. And we're going to give you a few words that kind of go with that real quickly. First, consider the word gift. While regular serendipity is a gift from ourselves, 
through our senses, through our awareness. Spiritual serendipity is a gift from God. Since it relies on powers and perceptions beyond our own, it can be given only by that higher power. Still, it is we who determine whether we obtain the gift, because it is freely given to all who desire it and who do what it requires. There's something called sixth sense. Most sensitive individuals recognize that the five senses are not their only source of knowledge or information. We can turn into nudges, impressions, insights, which are better called inspiration. Our sixth sense consists of the feelings of our inner spirits on our souls. So that kind of gives you the feeling of where we're going. And let's define a couple more little words that we're going to be using and that we often use in a spiritual sense. I like the word nudges, a nudge. I got a nudge. I just got a little nudge. I don't know where it came from. I just felt this little inspiration, this little, this little trigger in my mind. So we're defining nudges as impressions that come to our minds via our spirits and from the spirit of God. I love to think about that, that those things come into our minds. And, and what we need to do is learn how to act on them. And here's another one. Another way to receive inspiration is tuning in. Like a faint radio signal nudges can be tuned in and amplified until they become clear and spiritually audible. What is spiritually audible? Well, you can hear them in your spirit. They're actually audible and you can hear these. I love that analogy. You know, in the old days when you had a radio with a dial and you'd try to get this this signal and you'd turn into the station and if you went a little too far you lost it and yeah. you'd come back and you'd a lot of you're way it. too young to remember those days but that was really interesting but that's how the spirit is it's it's faint but if we tune in and amplify it and by by wanting it and being aware and reaching for it we can we can get this information and and the whole idea of spiritual serendipity is based on the notion that you don't only find unexpected good things or important things or things that you should do by your own devices, you find them by tuning into these nudges and on acting on them. So, And so many of us don't act on them, Linda. We <clears throat> have a little impulse, I should call so-and-so, or, you know, so I, I, I need to reach out to my friend who looked a little sad the other day. We get these little notions or little nudges and we're like, ah, you know, it's not important. I've got other things to do. I've got my list. I've got to go, you know, I've got to take care of the things I've planned to do today. And that's such a mistake because that's how you tune out. By tuning in as you do it, you feel it and you act on it, right? Well, my problem is that I get a whole lot of nudges every day. Well, that's <laughs> like, the advantage I should be of doing this or I should be doing this or, oh, oh, this is what I could do. Oh. Wow! Stop. And but I'm are they so spiritual nudges, or are they just little thoughts that cross well, the mind? Well, I think I some mean, are, and some aren't, and then that's maybe that's the gift is trying to sort out which one sort is this really ones. important, or is this just my crazy mind just thinking I have to do everything? Um, I I do think that you can sort that out, and sometimes it is so um, unusual that you think, 
you know, this is real. This is this I have to do. This is a nudge from the spirit. Well, and another way to say exactly what you just said, honey, is while regular serendipity is a bridge between our structured and spontaneous selves. In other words, am I going to do the list or am I going to do this other thing that I just thought of that might actually be better? Spiritual serendipity, on the other hand, is a bridge between our goals and God's will. It's also a bridge between the inspiration we receive during prayer or planning and the nudges that come later on the spur of the moment, just little things that that we really should do. So that's that's kind of a quick overview of how you turn serendipity into the spiritual side. Let's take a little break, and then when we come back, we're going to try to do the same thing with the other two alternatives. What is stewardship when it becomes spiritual stewardship? And what is synergicity when it becomes spiritual synergicity? And by the way, stay tuned, because at the end of the show, you many have, many have asked, how can I get the book? How can I get the book you're quoting from? And so on. And we've not only got an answer for you, we've got a way that you can get it for our price, for our author price. And we've got a couple of free things we want to share with you too. So stay tuned and we'll be right back on Ayers on the Road. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back we're talking about some kind of deep concepts today, but things that we need to spend a little time thinking about in our hurry, hurried life. And by the way, on, on our next to last, the fifth in this little mini series of five on these alternative attitudes and way of thinking, the last one that we'll do next week applies them directly to family. We're going to spend the whole podcast just saying, how does... How do these new and powerful and spiritual concepts of serendipity, stewardship, and synergistic, how do they apply to marriage? How do they apply to parenting? How do they apply to the most important relationships in our life? And that'll make more sense and, and have deeper meaning as we finish the spiritual construct of them. Now, I, I don't know what you think, Linda, but stewardship is already a spiritual term. You almost don't need to add spiritual stewardship, right? Because it implies that you're a steward over everything yes. you have. And right. that implies that God is the owner of all those things, and that makes it inherently spiritual. And that you don't really own anything. God is really the uh, the real steward. Right. So, <clears throat> the paradigm of stewardship does not suggest that we live like Gandhi or Thoreau, have an issue with Thoreau, or sell all we have and give to the poor, or that we adopt a completely Spartan life or live communally. This is not a book on lifestyle. Rather, it is a book on mindset or heart set that can free us of the cares of ownership and help us view our lives as the joyful receivers of gifts or stewardships. So let me read you a little poem by Wordsworth that I don't know if I can even, I, it chokes me up because it's so beautiful. And read between the lines and feel what Wordsworth's trying to say and think how spot on it is on what we're talking about right now, this business of ownership and accumulating and having things and being tied up with, with the things around us and so on. Here's what Wordsworth said. The world is too much with us 
late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste to our real powers. The sea that bears her bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours, and are all upgathered now like sleeping flowers. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Wow. When we're caught up with things and with ownership and with the world, as we say, we lose the real world, the real power, the winds that will be howling at all hours, the sea that bears her bosom to the womb to the to the moon they're upgathered like sleeping flowers for this for everything we're out of tune it moves us not don't you just want to be moved more often you know by beauty and by the the beauty of what's god god has given us and that only comes when we recognize that we're just stewards that it all belongs to him i god. think sometimes that just comes in a fleeting yeah moment because we are getting ready for a wedding reception at our house. Yeah. And there's a thousand things to do. Our house looks like it's been bombed over the winter because of this crazy stuff. And there's so much stuff to do to put it back together again. But every once in a while, you look up and think, green, green. There's green grass growing. This is beautiful. Or you look at oh, the sky. And so and you look at the clouds floating over. If, even if you can just take a moment to stop and see the world as it really is, and know that this is just a fleeting moment when all this periphery stuff is going on, and that the real world is, is beauty. So let us read you a couple of quotes, very poetic, from other people, and then a short little poem trying to pull together what we think spiritual stewardship really means. Here's a quote by Bertrand Russell. It is the preoccupation with possession more than any other thing that keeps men and women from living freely and nobly. That's pretty powerful. Oh, man, that makes me think we just sell all our stuff. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> get in a motorhome and go to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> now, you're lucky. You get to read from E.E. E. Cummings, who was kind of a trip himself. But he said the same thing Bertrand Russell did, but in kind of a different way. Um, do I have to read this exactly? Yeah. If you don't want to, I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you'll know why when you hear this. More, 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 more. My hell, what are we becoming? Morticians? E.E. <laughs> <laughs> Cummings. All more, 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 more. What are we becoming? Morticians? And then here's Thoreau, who, who kind of pared it down to one line. The true cost of a thing is the amount of what I call life that is required to be exchanged for it. Wow. And I don't know what your problem with Thoreau is, but he lived, he walked the talk. He lived with basically no possessions. He did, but he also said you can find the whole world in your backyard. Oh, okay. Well, and I know. You, I'm sorry, you but like there, there's a lot. If you really like bugs and grass and stuff, then you can find the whole world there and beauty and all that little, you know, little thing. I understand what he's saying, but you have to see the bigger world. Well, I'll read you a little poem now and we'll alternate on stanzas here. And this will kind of, sum up what we mean by spiritual serendipity, and then we'll move on to spiritual synergicity. Okay. Um, this is not merely a concept on anti-materialism 
although it includes that. Material things, misnamed possessions, are just one category of what we don't own, but do have stewardship over. There are many other categories, and their ownership is often harder to give up than possessions. Listen to this list. Abilities, friends, positions, earth's beauty, opportunities, talents, our quote-unquote children, time, spouse, physical bodies, trials, tests, loves. We tend to think of all those things as ours, that we own. And that's even more damaging than thinking of things as as owning them. If we think we own our children, we don't treat them with proper respect. If we think we own our position at work, we don't understand that it's really something bigger than us. Or that we we deserve them. I mean, that we've worked hard for and we deserve this. Yeah, that's that's exactly where this poem goes, in fact, honey. If we think we own any of these or have earned them or deserve them, we are wrong and we're harmed by the error. But nonetheless, they are given to us, but they are gifts of stewardship, which can produce the opposite effects of wrong, prideful ownership and carry us in the direction of the right kind of ultimate eternal stewardship. If, for now, we learn to love them, build them, guide them, magnify them, we will come to know both their joy and their giver. And, of course, that's the bottom line, is that as we recognize that we are stewards, that drives us not only to be grateful for the gifts that are freely given that we don't deserve, but to come to know the giver, of course, which is God. So let's move on now. Again, we're just summarizing, but we'll get through this, and then we'll tell you how to get more detail on any of these concepts if you like. Now let's move to spiritual synergicity, a combination of two other words, synergy and synchronicity. Wow, this is getting deep, honey. Well, I'm going to give you a little experience. I had come to love the word synergy as a management consultant way back in that phase of our lives. And I was fond of telling companies or campaigns how much more they could accomplish if they worked as a tandem in teamwork, where the collective result was greater than the sum of everyone working individually. To me, synergy was something you worked for consciously by getting people together and tapping into each other's strengths. But I was starting to realize that there was another kind of logic-defying magic where things connected and catalyzed each other without any planning or particular effort from anyone. It was as though some higher intelligence was orchestrating things that were way beyond our understanding. And the best word I could ever find for this kind of beneficial but a causal relationship between things was synchronicity. So synergicity is the attitude and paradigm alternative to independence. Instead of implying that we don't need others, it implies that we desperately need each other, that we're interdependent, that people working together can accomplish more than the total of what everyone could do individually. Instead of saying that we can stand alone, it says that we are completely dependent on God. When you think about it, independence is all about yourself. 
trying to make things happen when and how you want them to, depending only on yourself and not needing to wait for or rely on or even trust other people. Synergicity is exactly the opposite. It's all about others and about helping and being helped. It's about trusting and depending on others and trusting and depending on God and looking for spiritual connections and timings in all things. So synergicity is about asking for help from others and from God. And boy, is that a thing we need to be better and better at. Synergicity is how we spiritually examine our lives. It's how we seek and find true destinies. It's how we strive to make our lives conform to God's will. It's how we discover opportunities both to give and to receive. All right, so there we go. That's the fourth in this series on the three deceivers and three alternatives. And next week, we'll delve deeper into how they all apply to our families. And Linda, we've only got a couple more minutes, and I want to use part of it at least to, to sort of say what I feel almost every time we do Ayers on the Road. I feel like we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. I feel like we... We try in a half an hour to express some things we feel deeply about. But I always have this sense that there are a certain percentage of those who are listening who say, well, I want to dig a little deeper on that. So we want to share two things with you today. The first one is that we are speaking at, we are the keynote speakers this, uh, not this coming week, but the next week, actually on the 1st of June. We're the keynote speakers at a really wonderful thing that we've talked about on the show before. It's called the I Am Mom Summit. And that's how to find it online, just I Am Mom. It'll be easy for you moms. You dads will have to pretend you're a mom for a minute. The I, just put in I Am Mom Summit.com and it'll pull up this program. And what I love about that is it's completely free. You can listen to our keynote where we're going to touch on some of what we talked about today. You can listen to our really good new young friends, Sean and Andrew. East, who are incredible. Wow, we have actually done a new series with them on values. We filmed with them for two days. They are a young couple with little kids, and they're so darn smart um, for parents with children that young. So go on there and look at that. And there's a bunch of other speakers, too. We're we're one keynote, and Sean Johnson and Andrew East are the other one. And then there's some marvelous speakers, and it's all free. So IamMomSummit.com. The other thing is directly related to what we talked about today. And I'm just going to take 30 seconds and tell you our philosophy. We, You know, books have been really good to Linda and Richard. We've written a lot of books, as many of you know, and some have been bestsellers, and they've been profitable for us, to be candid, as well as fun. But our whole goal now is to get as many of our books as possible to be completely free. And so as soon as we get the copyrights back, we put them online, and many of you know you can just go to IrishFreeBooks.com and get those books right online for free. The ones that we don't have any control over yet, we've we've negotiated with our publisher 
to say, look, if people come there because they heard us on our podcast or because they heard us in a speech, we want them to be able to get our books for the same price we can get them for. Authors get 40% off. We want anyone who hears us speak or whatever to be able to get them for our same price. And the publisher went along with that. So here's an address for you to write down, and we'll put the web address, and we'll put this in the show notes too. Familius.com slash ire. Familius is F-A-M-I-L-I-U-S. Familius.com slash ire. We'll put that in the show notes. And if you go there to that particular website, it'll give you a, a coupon code where you can scroll down to the book we've been talking about in this mini series, which is called The Happiness Paradox. You can click on that and put in this coupon code and get it for the same price we can buy it for. And while you're there, take a look at Linda's grandmothering book and a bunch of other books that you may want to look into your too. Proactive grandfather. Um, uh, it is. We are pretty blessed to be able to do this. So we want to thank you for sticking with us today. If you're still there, <laughs> because this is a lot of deep stuff, but stuff that we really love to think about and I hope that you have enjoyed thinking about your own life and things you can change a little bit too, to get more in line with what God wants for you so happy to have you we'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road bye bye bye